Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Copla Connections, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsilavus. Seeing as it's the run-up to Christmas and for MCU fans, Marvel Studios are giving you a nice little Christmas treat of Spider-Man No Way Home, I thought no better time to jump in and talk about the amazing Spider-Man. I think the only superhero film that has a Coppola connection felt very fitting for this. This is obviously episode 25. As I said, the film is The Amazing Spider-Man from 2012. And my guest for this episode is the amazing Andrew Godian. I absolutely loved this conversation and I'm sure you will too. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, what we do over here on Coppola Connections is watch every single film in the collective Coppola family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time based on this single film alone. So I get my guests to just have a rambly chat about the Coppola family, how they got to know them, deep dive into this film and then make a judgment call. Does this film make them the greatest film family of all time we will be down in the sewers with this movie talking all spoilers shooting webs at all the plot points of this movie so if you haven't seen it now's your time to duck out if you want to watch this film you can head on over to netflix in the uk where this is streaming right now so i guess all that's left to do is to get bitten by a radioactive spider avenge the death of your uncle climb up some fire escapes to give your girlfriend a little smooch and battle a lizard man who has some ties to your family as we make some Coppola connections. With the release of Marvel's Spider-Man No Way Home tomorrow, I thought it was only right to swing back to 2012 and look at another outing of everyone's favorite webhead in The Amazing Spider-Man. Directed by Mark Webb, great name, <laughs> with a script by James Vanderbilt, Alvin Sargent, and Steve Cloves. 
This film stars Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Reese Fans, Sally Field, Martin Sheen, and Dennis Leary. And our Coppola connection for this episode is the film cinematographer, yours and my mate, John Schwartzman. Joining me today as we shoot webs at this film to find out if it deserves to spin a web in the Coppola family hall of fame or should be trapped under a glass and thrown outside is journalist and podcaster Andrew Godian. Andrew, our promises you can't keep the best kind. <laughs> so I hear, uh, but I also believe that uh, if you can talk about The Amazing Spider-Man with other people, you have a moral obligation to do that thing. And that's what's at stake here. Not choice, responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Andy? I'm very well, Petros. How are you doing? Good to see you again. <laughs> I, I'm... Yeah, you too, man. It's it's uh, yeah. Obviously, I guested on your fantastic podcast, uh, Rambling and Amblin' podcast. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to start off with by asking mm. is: Is there any superhero movies in the Rambling oeuvre? No, no, there there aren't really. It's not something that they've kind of hopped on uh, the bandwagon, as it were. Uh, I guess like the close closest thing you can get to is something like Ready Player One that has various amount of characters in the background uh including batman at one point i, I don't know if Sp i can't remember spider-man popping up in that i feel like that would have been uh, too much of a copyright hurdle to jump over but who knows in this kind of day and age maybe the long uh, belated sequel to who framed roger rabbit will end up being about roger rabbit in a in a month in the group of superheroes time will tell <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm sure, yeah, it's, I'm sure it will probably get the Space Jam new legacy <laughs> treatment, right? Where it's just IP galore, and just like it will be, it will be, yeah, there'll be everything. It will be Batman and Superman on the screen for the first time ever. Iron Man's there, and they'll all be there. It will be be an absolute clusterfuck. Of and IP. Roger Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So uh, yeah, on the talk of the, like superheroes, would like what superhero would you love to have seen or see Spielberg tackle? He might be a bit long mm. in the tooth to tackle one now, but I feel like he like, and I I'm almost certain that if I look, googled this now, it probably would be a uh, a fact. But I feel like around the time that Richard Donner did Superman, uh, Spielberg must have been someone whose name was in the mix, like coming off the back of Jaws and like just for the very simple reason being like Superman being this kind of like symbol of American myth making and how that feels quite Spielbergian but even to a point I think Peter Parker Spider-Man feels quite Spielbergian in a way because it is like this uh kid in that uh, about a kid kind of being met with extraordinary uh circumstances which is a very Amblin trait as it is just young people being thrown into the deep end with something fantastical and seeing if they could keep their head above water, which is essentially what the whole early stage of Peter Parker's life in any form is, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm surprised that the kind of uh, the Tom Holland run haven't had like an amplification to them of like kind of because I know that yeah like, the uh, homecoming kind of had like it's like a John Hughes vibe more than anything vibe right? to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm surprised they didn't lean into that. Or I guess, like, I don't know, it's an unwritten thing in Hollywood to not 
tread on Stephen's toes. <laughs> unless, you're, unless you're Jason Reitman. <laughs> Don't go too close now. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I always start off these conversations, uh, Andrew, by asking, when did you first become aware of the Coppola family? And it's never more fitting to say like a spider's web of a mm. family that they are. I must say, I must also uh, give you a shout out for that wonderful uh, family tree that you've made with the little podcast document oh, that you had out. It's very helpful and just generally quite entertaining to look at because you do just kind of go, Jesus Christ, yeah, I mean, they're, they're everywhere. <laughs> 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 but to answer your question, I, like, and I was, had to think about this a little bit because I, I think the first Francis Ford Coppola film I would have seen was Jack just because I was a big Robin Williams fan as a kid, but probably didn't appreciate mm-hmm. it was a film made by Francis Ford Coppola in the slightest. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like when I, I would say I, I saw the Godfather trilogy for the first time when I was about 13, that kind of point in my life when I was like, all right, I'm, I'm into films and I'm really going to get into films now. Let's tick off all the 501 greatest films you must see before you die sort of lists. And of course, like the Godfather's are, an apocalypse now they're all in there so that's when i start when reading more you start to really realize that his kind of significance but also as a as a unit you you soon realize how connected they all are <laughs> yeah like and i, I i'm always interested because i i saw the godfather at a similar age how did it impact you at, at that time because for me i always look at it and be like I've watched it, but I don't feel like I've really like like watched it when I was like thirteen. I don't think I like picked up on like what it actually was talking. Do you know what I mean? I, like, yes. maybe maybe I was just a thick thirteen year old. But like, no, just, no, like, I'm with you. A lot it's of a, men talking in dark. A lot of men talking, and it was like, and it's also at that stage in your life where you're like, you know, you're into film, and you like when you ever you watch one of these films that's kind of like heralded in one of these books, you know, you don't really go in with like a kind of critical eye or like a a sense of like being like I'm just going to experience this film and see what I think about it you go in the mindset knowing that you're wanting to gonna come out at the end going like yes that was amazing (laughs) so so you you don't really have that eye quite yet um and and this will give you a picture of the the kind of 13 year old I was Uh, my parents were out like on a Saturday evening and um I (laughs) instead of being like all right house ourselves let's invite some mates around and underage drinker to do all that i was like i'm gonna stay at home and <laughs> commandeer the tv because i know the godfather's on sky so i'm gonna watch that <laughs> while my sister had a sleepover up, upstairs and i kept getting annoyed that they were making too much noise whilst i was watching the godfather <laughs> this is a really important scene funny guys can you keep it down <laughs> He's going to this toll booth. I don't know what's going to happen. I've been promised guns. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, uh, a left field question? Well, not even that left field. But have you ever met a Coppola? I know, I know you, you you work in journalism. You, you yeah, and you're I, in the I, film sphere. I had to kind of wrap my brain a little bit just in case, because again, like they're this sort of family where like there's connections that you might not even like even think to look at like because even just looking at some some of their individual names you wouldn't automatically assume 
Um, so no, not knowingly is, is the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> I would love. I had to. a fantastic answer to that recently. I had a fantastic answer to that recently where somebody was like, I saw Phantom Planet. Does that count? Like Jason <laughs> Schwartzman was playing drums. Like, oh, I guess that you you breathe the same air as yeah. Jason Schwartzman. I'll, I'll definitely take that. You uh, are physically in the uh, same amazing. place. So, I think that'll um, work. <laughs> um, and what would have been the first John Schwartzman film you'd have seen? I know it's kind of a bit of a weird one to say. Like, I, I don't know too many people who see films specifically for a cinematographer unless it's yeah the big names deakins normally yeah 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 john schwartzman doesn't seem like the like he's there going oh john schwartzman's doing this one i must must go out there (laughs) the only reason i watched dracula untold uh but (laughs) 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 but i go back over his filmography i think the first one that i would have like seen as a kid was Armageddon on like VHS when I was about nine years old. So it, I'd like even like kind of looking a bit further back at that early point, there's some stuff in there that mm-hmm. I like see biscuit. I remember seeing from a young age for whatever reason, it was just something that was on in 2004. Uh, <laughs> and then also like getting into like Michael Bay when I was younger as well. So seeing like the rock uh, headers, that was a big teen, teen movie for me as well. That's one of his early, early credits yes yeah yeah yeah. so yeah he's got like he is this like workman yeah like cinematographer and he's kind of got these like really interesting um relationships especially with michael bay because you can either thank him or blame him he basically created that bay aesthetic right like mm-hmm. he was there on the rock he was there on armageddon like he he, he pearl harbor's he one, of, one of the big ones yeah yeah, he helped shape that look basically, and I guess there's yeah, there's two ways you can look at that. You can yeah. thank John Schwartzman, or you can kind of damn him with hellfire you, for kind you of really can't, letting Michael Bay do. Yeah, and you can't undersell that aesthetic as well. The kind of like uh, influence it ended up having on how generally Hollywood blockbusters looked in the like early noughties as well. Like you think kind of the early Fast and Furious movies or. Uh, just pretty much like any, anything Rob Cohen made as well in the early noughties. All that kind of action, high octane, early naughty stuff is cribbing from the Michael Bay sheets. And a big part of that is John Schwartzman's overall look for those films as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you, yeah, you kind of look at like the the Jerry Bruckheimer, yeah. Simpson, like stable of films. Like he seems like one of the key consistents in that to kind of shape that look mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It's like, yeah. I'm glad you bought that box set in the end. Gone in 60... <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. For, for, for those of you listening who might not know what I'm talking about, I had a... I, I, I po- recently posted a photo on Twitter of the Jerry Brockheimer action box set, which is seven films, which I think include uh, Crimson Tide, Enemy of the State, The Rock, Con Air, Armageddon, Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor was in there. Might be missing. Gone in sixty seconds. <laughs> Gone in sixty seconds. That's the seven. I, but I've recently found out there is a Blu-ray release that has the addition of Deja Vu, Deja Vu. the Denzel Washington, Tony Scott film. Indeed. So, like, I feel like I'm. I feel like I, I might need to up my up my ante and have to buy that as well, which kind of makes my 
Saturday trip into town, which was absolute hell to go get it. Uh, kind of redundant. <laughs> uh, A fine CEX pickup there. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I regret nothing, Andy. I absolutely regret nothing. Uh, so let's talk about The Amazing Spider-Man. But before we do, let's listen to the trailer. Mm. How did you get out there? Fire escape. It's 20 stories. Your doorman's intimidating. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Parker. Not much to tell, really. Peter lives with his aunt and uncle. Did you catch that spider guy yet? No, but we will. This guy wears a mask like an outlaw. I think he's trying to do something maybe the police can't. Can't? You know, if you're gonna steal cars, don't dress like a car thief. You a cop? You seriously think I'm a cop? In a skin tie, red and blue suit. Who are you? I know it's been rough for you, Peter. (laughs) I forgot all about that thing. It was your dad's. Your father was a very secretive man, Peter. Dr. Connors, I'm Richard Parker's son. Your father and I were gonna change the lives of millions, including mine. Extraordinary, how did you come up with this? There's a rumor of a new species in New York. It can be aggressive if threatened. I gotta stop him, because I created him. That's not your job. Maybe it is. Thirty-eight of New York's finest versus one guy in a unitard. If you want the truth, Peter, come and get it. I am issuing an arrest warrant for the masked vigilante known as Spider-Man. I'm in trouble. this film and why did we pick it to discuss on this podcast i i would have seen this when it first came out back in 20 summer of 2012 um which was a big year for superhero movies because you had like the avengers in the may of this year then you had the dark knight rises also in the july Mm -hmm. of 2012 i think these these two only came about two weeks apart and like it's not when you kind of compare like have it sandwiched in between those two it feels like you often would forget to men- mention that the fact that the Amazing Spider-Man also came out in that summer. <laughs> so, yeah. But the the main reason I chose to pick it was because I've loved Spider-Man from a very young age. He's always been my favorite superhero. I had a old double VHS tape of like the Nicholas Hammond's live action '70s Spider-Man movies, uh, Spider-Man Strikes Amazing. Again and Spider-Man: The Dragon's Challenge. <laughs> 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 Can't wait to revisit that to see how well that's aged. <laughs> and then, like that, that love only grew. Like growing up in the like 
mid to late nineties into the early noughties because you had like the nineties uh, animated series that was really cool that had like the mm-hmm. like <laughs> theme tune to it, uh, like all the Marvel cartoons in the nineties. It's equally as good as like something like the X Men series or the Silver Surfer series. And then uh, I remember really getting into the alternate comic book line that started in like two thousand. And then that, of course, all lead, all led into the Tobey Maguire Sam Wright Sam Raimi trilogy, which were were huge, huge movies for me when I was a kid. Uh, particularly that first one when that was coming out, because I I can really distinctly remember that whole uh, discussion about the twelve A certificate uh, coming in because it, mm-hmm. of it originally getting a twelve rating, and my dad was thinking about not taking me. Because I wasn't twelve years. <laughs> was <it> dad, no. <laughs> uh, so I, as disappointed as I was to when they made that decision to not go ahead with a Spider-Man four uh, with Raimi and Maguire and Co. And they were going to go go ahead and reboot it. I was a, a little disheartened, but at the same time, you know this this shtick happens in comic book runs all the time. So new Spider-Man movies. Fine by my book, and I say I liked the initial kind of packaging that they were giving, giving with like particularly the casting of Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. They're two, they're they're really smart, smart pieces of casting because he's clearly not going to do the Tobey Maguire thing because he doesn't doesn't have the same vibe at mm-hmm. all. And Emma Stone's like kind of pitch yeah, yeah. pitch perfect casting for Gwen Stacy, and um, it looked cool to have like the lizard being used as a villain because he was always one of my favorites from the cartoon series as a kid. Uh, I really liked 500 Days of Summer uh, when that came out, which would have been Mark Webb's first, mm-hmm. yep. first movie. Like, his first movie and the, and the only movie he had done before this as well, which is kind of nuts. <laughs> well, well that, that, that kind of thing happens a lot, right? Yeah, particularly kind of this day and age. Like, especially now. Yeah, it's like like near da Costa, I think, is the 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 one that springs to mind mm. of, of recent, where it's like Candyman, like not even out, and they're like, she's doing the Marvels, like she's, she's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, and it, it is that thing of I don't know, yeah, like Ryan Coogler, I guess, to some degree. I know yeah. he had a couple of films, he had Fruitvale Station, and then Creed, and then it's like, let's suck him up into the Marvel <laughs> like beast machine that we've got going on. Um. So obviously you talked about your trepidation for this for this new mm. like and I think I think there was a kind of uh, a bit of a fatigue from everyone right because this what it was five years gap between yeah. was Spider Man three the, the yeah the Spider Man three and then this one and it's a uh, I guess it's 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 as much that thing of like Batman it's like are we really gonna see his parents get shoved into that alley once again and killed mm. and it was that thing of like are we gonna have to watch uncle ben get killed <laughs> again with this so what what were your first initial reactions when when you saw this in yeah uh, july 2012 i i i kind of I, I went back over my an old blog of this and like a lot of my feelings for for it remain qu- quite similar but uh i think that trepidation can the main thing i kind of felt initially watching it is like even the film kind of feels that trepidation about going over the same beats again and it feels kind of awkwardly rushing through certain parts and it I remember thinking it kind of felt like it had this it had the shadow 
of the trilogy over it that it found like a little hard to shake. But I remember I remember liking a lot of the kind of tweaks to the way that they were shooting the web swinging because I remember one of the big well I think even the first teaser was this one shot like first person perspective of him running on rooftops and swinging and that seemed to be like the big thing they were pushing as this is why this looks different now <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> uh, which then ends up it doesn't end up really playing much of a part in the film itself but <laughs> I wonder if that's on an editing floor somewhere but uh, the main thing I took away from both back then when I watched it and even now going back to it for this was the pairing of Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone really do make it work even when it's kind of getting stuck in its own kind of narrative corners or changing tacks for Mm -hmm. other plot threads uh, (laughs) before kind of really exploring other ones that they they give it a a lot of heart uh, in a way and make it give it that distinctive distinctive yeah distinctiveness that allows it to at least kind of feel like its own thing and not something that's having to work as a kind of shadowy imitation. Well, before, yeah, before we get into the, the, the heart of this conversation and really mm. pick this part of film, I always like to get my guests to <laughs> yes. a brief synopsis for the film. Andy, fire away. I'll take it. So Andrew Garfield is Peter Parker, your everyday, socially awkward teen genius who loves photography, has great hair, and is really good on a skateboard. Um, <laughs> Peter has been raised by his caring uncle Ben, Martin Jean, and Aunt May, Sally Field, after his parents left suddenly one night, only to end up dead in a mysterious plane crash. Keen to know more about his parents, well, his father anyway, and what he was working on before he died, Peter goes to... Sneaks into Oscorp Labs to get a chance meeting with Dr. Kurt Connors, played by Reese Defans, his father's old lab partner who is working in the field of cross-species genetics. Wonder if that will come back up. While evading detection, however, Peter accidentally stumbles into a lab filled with genetically enhanced spiders, one of which bites him, quickly, quickly granting him the powers to do whatever a spider can. Minus the mechanical web shooters, which Peter himself later makes. But when tragedy strikes, Peter must learn how to balance his life with the responsibility that comes with his powers. Something which proves even more difficult as he deals with a burgeoning romance with classmate Gwen Stacy and has the matter of a, of a giant lizard man roaming the streets of New York to deal with, who may or may not have something to do with Dr. Connor's experience. And that's the amazing Perfect. Spider-Man. That is, that, is, that, is the, that is the amazing. That is a beautiful uh, plot synopsis. And I've got, to, I've got to tip my hat off to you. I think you're the only person who's written one down. <laughs> I'm calling you all out right now. I'm calling you all out. You did do your homework, guys. Uh, I, I got amazing. the sheet. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. Um, Let's kind of talk about the. I, th- I feel like this is a perfect time to talk about Andrew Garfield and his kind of casting mm. as Peter Parker and how he works as both Peter Parker and Spider Man. Yeah. Because, like, they. I know, I know there's a lot of talk that a lot of people say, like, he's the best. Peter Parker. Tobey Maguire is the best Spider-Man, and then maybe Tom Holland is like a kind of good 
mix of both. Do you know what I mean? Right, uh, yeah, uh, that so, old, so, yeah, old discussion. How, like, Bale was a better Bruce Wayne, but he's not as good as Batman. If they're not, like, that old conversation, uh, that old kind of nugget. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so how... how... He, he's got the weird kind of, like, particularly now that we have the Tom Holland ones, he's got that weird kind of middle child syndrome that's descended upon his portrayal now, where everyone kind of sees it as the troubled, difficult one. And that kind of expectation does work in its favor in a weird way because he he does approach it as a much kind of spikier Peter Parker who like as I kind of like made light of in that synopsis he is this he is a much like trendier cooler more stylish guy than like the Toby Maguire one who was he's a bit of a square (laughs) (laughs) and slightly even to Tom Holland's one is a bit more kind of like awkwardly voice cracking kind of teen uh, nerd trope than this mm-hmm. than this Peter Parker is. And I, I like the way Garfield kind of approaches it as uh, Peter Parker has kind of uh, actively made himself more removed and while you could read it as slow, socially awkward, it's kind of like this uh, uh, kind of the trauma of abandonment, abandonment issues kind of plays into his characterization where he keeps him quite a closed off person because even his relationship with Uncle Ben and Aunt May, while there is a bit of there is a lot of love there, he is still quite aloof with them a lot of the time um in this mm-hmm. one. Which is not something that is ca- what, characteristic like, of Toby Maguire at all. <laughs> I guess like to to jump in slightly to the plot of this, what I don't quite understand is obviously like one <laughs> one of my first questions was how old is Peter Parker meant to be in this? Obviously, like later on, it is is established that both him and Gwen Stacy are seventeen. Mm-hmm. I was like, I ain't buying, yeah, I ain't buying it. it. I ain't buying that for one second. Um, and then it's like, how nerdy can you be as Peter Parker when you look like Andrew? Yeah, Dunn? I mean, he's, you know he mean? looks like, too good, right? It's, <laughs> yeah, like that. I I guess like the opening of this like just gives a lot like asks a lot of questions like well like that made me ask a lot of questions in regards to like the certain things like if peter is this kind of boy genius and really precocious and stuff like that why is it taking him till 17 to pay such an interest in what happened to his parents and like yeah why is it taking him s- I, I i want to assume like in that flashback we get at the beginning of his parents um kind of yeah, running away in the night and him being dropped off to Aunt May must be about seven or eight years old, maybe. Yeah, there's so been some time. <laughs> there's been about nine years. Yeah, there's been about nine years that he's lived with them, and he's only now come across this briefcase where yeah. he's like at his a most random flooding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it it kind of it it it, it felt like I don't know quite sloppy writing to me yeah and like I, I, I think you alluded to it earlier that you go i was yeah i was just gonna say that's kind of like my main issue with this film like i've got really not a lot of problem with the way kind of garfield approaches character or anyone really approaches the character it is like you say there are these plot threads that just and even just the setup it just feels kind of and we're off <laughs> Uh-huh. We're just go. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're doing it now, and this is he's doing it now for reasons of finding a briefcase after a flood, and it's it's a case of like you just are expected to just kind of buy that. It's suddenly a renewed interest. You're right. It is 
it's not really baked into it in a way. You, you, you might be able to speak to this more than I can because I'm not like I, I love Spider Man like in the kind of uh, cinematic like world and stuff like that, but I'm not I'm not too much like clued up on 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 the comic books. Do, do they ever like go into like the idea of his parents in in the comics? Is there like this kind of thing? Or is this kind of a total new invention for this film? Um, certainly not more, not really in the sort of ones I've largely read. Um, they, they have popped up a few times and there's like moments where they, there's like life model decoys of them recreated that, to trick him into thinking that they're alive, which is just pretty mean, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they've also been like secret agents over time and what have you. They've had a lot of like, they've been reused in like lots of weird different ways. But uh, I, I must say, whenever I kind of come across it, it's not something I've, I'm ever that, that really, but like, it's not something that really intrigues me having this kind of like mystery around his parents. What is more interesting mm-hmm. to me is that it's just this kid who's got, who has had this kind of trauma in his life and like a lot of like, the best kind of Spider-Man stories focus on the kind of downtrodden, like uh, how 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 much life is just kind of shit for Peter Parker a lot of the time. It's got, like his his uncle dies, he never knew his parents, and he's not someone who's got like a high-paying job, and he's often living from paycheck to paycheck, and like that. Those are the more interesting stories. So whenever one, which is where like both the Garfield ones do kind of lose me a bit is when they try to tie it into like this whole thing that like his from birth he was designed he was meant to be granted these powers and he was meant to be it plays plays up much more in the second one about the fact that he his genetic code is like specifically designed to match this spider bite and what have you so that it can And I, that sort of stuff, which kind of removes like the everyman element and the kind of more relatable, like he's just a random everyday kid who gets this incredible, scary, extraordinary thing happen to him. And like whenever that starts being predetermined with like kind of a predestination element to it, I'm a bit like, nah, that's not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> So in these kind of early moments of it, like we talked about, you, you mentioned how this film kind of like barrels along and we're kind of straight mm. into it. But like when I was watching it again, I was like, I kind of clock watched and I went, we're like an hour in and there's no real villain. It's kind of like a lot it's happens, but at the same time, not a lot happens. Do you know what I mean? It's kind mm-hmm. of like they have to, I don't know. It almost, they didn't learn the lessons from like, spider-man free almost yeah we're trying to put loads in there we're trying to give us we're trying to give the audience yeah this this back story of his parents and but we also need to do the origin story and that kind of feels very like i don't know like thrown away and i think it's done a a lot better in something like um into the spider-verse where Mm. they really play into that idea that like the spider bite is just like happenstance and really like an inconvenience i think like that kind of film really plays into it with like miles morales like kind of going ow like just slapping it off and it's like not as like in this it's like he's in that room full of like 
the, the genetic the day glow spiders <laughs> yeah 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 and everything's kind of like, it's all like Whoa, and then like yeah it's like you keep getting the shots of the spider kind of crawling up him and it's like we know what's going to happen like yeah don't, don't stop fucking like trying to tease us out with it and i guess it's what the mcu version of spider-man did quite well so yeah gone, we're not giving you any of that stuff because you know it and it's like i guess this falls victim to a lot yeah. of times of this time where it feels like we have to explain everything to the audience and almost like uh i don't know like spoon feed them where it's like this is an origin like this is a new spider-man film so they're going like this is just like like the comic books this is a new run by a new creative team they go, oh no, we have to start from the beginning. We have to give you the origin story again. Yeah. I, like, I, it kind of comes back to that like, idea of looking at the Andrew Garfield run as like the troubled middle child. Because it is like, and this is where that weird tension comes in of like that shadow of the Raimi trilogy. And it does end up impacting a lot of uh, the kind of like key character beats, I feel. Because I think it's probably perfectly fine for them to do the origins again. But like, kind of commit to it harder or don't do it at all is, is what I think is the issue here. It kind, of, it kind of ends up somewhere somewhere in between where it doesn't really properly commit to it because it doesn't really do like the kind of like go for a body horror thing whenever when he does get bitten and he, and he gets the powers quite quickly. It's literally as soon as he's been bitten, he's on a subway train fighting some goons and getting his hand accidentally stuck to a woman's shirt, which is a weird, weird beat. Uh, and then... And then, the, and then the next day he's going on Bing looking up spider bites and that's just kind of then how it keeps developing with him hopping on his skateboard doing flips and what have you and realising he can make these web shooters and it goes through all that kind of like discovering and getting to grips with powers in such a kind of flippant way that you don't really feel the kind of exuberance or joy that you can if you do just kind of like, yes, you've seen it 10 years ago in Sam Raimi's movie, but this is a chance to try and do something different with that and with this new Peter Parker. And it doesn't really, it doesn't commit to that at all and just kind of commits to this more half-baked approach. And that, I think that also builds into Uncle Ben getting killed as well, because that happens just like he's suddenly walking past in the same place that the Peter accidentally lets a robber get away and he's literally on the same street, shoots dead, moving on. It's that, again, it's that, mm-hmm. it, feels like the film's panicking about not wanting to like hit two familiar beats but then at the, then doesn't actually with those beats doesn't try to do anything that different with them and ends up kind of shooting itself in the foot as a as a resp- <laughs> as a result and the and the characters are the ones who suffer more than anything else mm-hmm. well i guess what one of the things that this film does in regards to that is it has to make everything like come back to peter and it like mm. really like just the weight is on his shoulders because it's like uncle ben's death is his fault connor's is his fault like mm. everything's like his like it's it, it's a lot moodier and i guess it falls victim to that thing of like it's the nolan nolanification yeah. of spider-man almost do you know what I mean? even it's down like, to the color palette yeah 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 which yeah brings brings us on to john swartzman so uh, yeah let's let, let, let's whilst we're kind of 
uh, clumsily segued. <laughs> what do you think of the look of this film and, and the look that, that John Schwartzman brings to it? I, I, I must say it's one of his, I do think it's probably one of his lesser blockbuster works because I, 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 and I do think it's like we say, it's kind of coming off of this approach to want to add some grit and Nolanize it. Um, and like, as I said earlier, that kind of uh, big thing in the promotion initially was this uh, first person perspective wall crawling and web shooting, which even then that itself doesn't end up playing a part that much. And the film overall has this kind of like quite uh, saturated, washed out look to it, which can often leave it feeling a little flat. And particularly when CG starts taking over, it's not the most dynamic looking superhero movie at all. I quite like the uh, means in which like some of the shots that, and this is more really more down to one composition and also just the means of the kind of either contorting the actor or a CGI recreation of the actor, the, the way Spider-Man moves and look uh, and generally how it more generally how he moves. I quite like uh, the suit. I'm less mm-hmm. hot on, but like the way they kind of stylize certain moments with, Spider-Man skews a little closer to like comic book panels than say like the Raimi run did, which I appreciated. But overall, I found like the general look of it uh, quite flat and not yeah for something that's supposed yeah. to be the Amazing Spider-Man. It's quite oh <laughs> yeah, it really felt like kind of going back to that original title of the comics really should have lent into that like, yeah. vibrancy that that had. The, it the needs a different title, kind of... for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The moody Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, 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 the, the, ooh, the emo Spider-Man. Uh, well, obviously, like... The... My Chemical Spider-Man. This is an interesting time. <laughs> 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 That's brilliant. Uh, this feels like an interesting time to be talking about this film because obviously like, mm. now this is somewhat both these films are canon within the MCU, right? Because we we've seen we will see tomorrow day of release that whether Andrew Garfield one is in mm. the new uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, and obviously we've seen that two of the villains, the villain from this film, is in. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, as is Electro from mm. Amazing Spider-Man 2. So, like, what are your thoughts? Are we going to see Andrew Garfield <laughs> crop up in No Way Home? It's the million-dollar question at the minute, isn't it? Uh, it's been quite funny watching, like, uh, Andrew Garfield filled the question in the, like, tit-tit-boom promotional campaign where he's just like, <laughs> <coughs> Look, all I'm going to say is, like, either some of you are going to be right, some of you are going to be wrong, and some of you are going to be really happy, and some of you are going to be really upset, and I am sorry in advance. Which partly makes it, is either just him being very good at deflecting from it, or it is he saying, no, I, I'm not in it. Um, and the way he's kind of talked about his experience on these two films, I'd be, I would actually be quite surprised if he ends up being in it. I maybe, I'm, would be less surprised if Tobey Maguire's in it, but Garfield in particular, I'd be very surprised if he ends up popping up. Um, and I, well, I, I could see the film just being a I've regurgitation the, of villains more than anything else. I've, I've, I've seen, I've seen like some, some, some fan theories online and stuff like that. Like one being. There is a moment in the No Way Home trailer where um, uh, Zendaya's character MJ, Mary Jane, yeah. is like caught, 
caught by a web and like so, somebody said like that's gonna be the garfield spider-man who catches her as like a kind of nice like redemptive arc to yeah what happens i saw that when too Stacey in the amazing spider-man 2 and then there was like i'm not sure if you saw the uh, whole thing that went around with the brazilian trailer with, oh with the um, the lizard looking like the, he's getting <laughs> punched by a ghost yes <laughs> Yes, yeah, that, and, the, that was and, and there is there is things in that trailer. There is like what three villains up against one, one Spider-Man. Spider-Man, but like, but it's like kind of it's framed as if they're heading off against like the way they kind of are all looking and the way yeah. they attack is like they have a, a an opponent each, and it's like oh, it feels. It very much feels like they should have the stage not shown that in the trailer. Yeah, keep that one in the keep that one in the draw. Like everyone's going to come and see it anyway. <laughs> Everyone knows. <laughs> it's a weird one to me because, like, I, like yes, all, all the evidence is kind of more pointing towards the fact that they are both going to be in it. But there is just something about particularly Garfield popping up which feels odd to me, considering he's talked about how this, a lot of working on these movies was quite like disheartening and uh, particularly in looking at working in the Hollywood machine and seeing how these characters who can do, like, I think it's in a Hollywood report around table where he says about how it's really quite heartbreaking to see how characters you love and characters, you know, can really have a positive effect on people go through the kind of uh, studio business conglomerate meat grinder and just everything that's kind of more produced for the story is for the sake of selling something rather than kind of staying true to, the nature of what people love about this character and i i it, it surprised it would it's why it would surprise me to see him there in a big multimedia crossover of it <laughs> or or he's just really really savvy he's really played he's the long game <laughs> yeah he's got people talking about like him and spider-man again and then it's gonna be yeah. like tomorrow people are just gonna be either foaming at the mouth in anger because they detest his spider-man or they're going to be jizzing in their pants yeah they're kind of like i'm I'm excited to see like either either way if they're in it like if if both him and toby Maguire are in it i'm I'm gonna be like that's great like yeah that's cool you are they are they are obviously cribbing from the like they're, they're acting like spider-verse didn't happen yeah do you know what i mean like it's like like no way home is like oh yeah we're, we're gonna do spider-verse but we're just gonna bring in villains <laughs> like, and then like <laughs> yeah and if nicholas cage isn't there as spider-man noir i'm i'm flipping a table i'll tell you that uh, imagine sure, if he it? is though that, uh, that you're, you're probably still flipping the table but in a in a very different uh energy level <laughs> for a very different reason yeah 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 i, I, I I'm flipping a table like Tom Wamsgans in Succession. Yeah, just... What? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If you're a Succession fan, you, you will get mm-hmm. that. If you're not, I'm not going to spoil it in any way. Uh, so let's get back to The Amazing Spider-Man and kind of talk about some of the the side characters mm. here. What One of them uh, I, I just want to kind of briefly talk about is... Uh, Rajit Rafa, played by uh, Ifran Khan, who I, I think gets he gets done dirty. In yeah, this I mean, film, right? again, kind of like... this feels like another thread that 
once upon a time went so much further and just yeah as a result just doesn't feel like anything because another thing to kind of like and i think you can really feel it in this movie is the fact that this script as it was being written first james vanderbilt 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 <laughs> wrote a draft uh, when it was still Raimi Spider-Man 4. Then some of that got taken over when they decided to reboot it, naming, the, I think, the lizard stuff, because Sony was super keen on having the lizard. And then that itself got a rewrite by Alvin Sargent, who had already written on the Raimi trilogy. And then that itself ended up getting rewritten by Steve Cloves, who is very much known for adapting all the Harry Potter films at the time. And I do feel like you can kind of feel this kind of three-tier bake going on where someone else is coming in and certain threads end up tossling for screen time. And part of it you could maybe put down to sequel baiting, but particularly the Erfran Khan stuff is just so quickly forgotten about after one scene on the bridge. He doesn't... I'm right in thinking he does, does, does not appear again He's meant to be this kind of shadowy Oscorp figure that's kind of trying to push Kurt Connors to make a cure for a dying Norman Osborn. Something which does end up playing a part more in part two, but Khan isn't back, so who knows what happened to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, is, that is bizarre. And I kind of like, I, I know it's a very well-trodden uh, trope in films, but I, 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 I almost really like that thing when a, a film goes for it's not the supernatural villain who is the true evil. Yeah. It is kind of man man themselves. And it kind of felt like that was a really interesting angle they could have pulled for this. Like being like, this is a world of the fantastical with a kind of web shooting superhero and a, a lizard man. But really like it's it's the it's the pressures of kind of corporate and kind of science to push things forward that has driven Kirk Connors to to kind of becoming yeah. like this. And they kind of touch on it ever so slightly, I think. Like, cause it you get that scene where it's um if Frank Khan kind of says to him, like, you either start human trials now or like well like now or, or, or else. And he kind of threatens him, be like, you know what happened to Robert Parker when he went yeah. he kind of crossed us. Like, and it's even it's even like the point where they're like, just in case you didn't get that this man's sinister, we're also going to have him say the line, oh, we're going to just go take this down to the veterans hospital and start testing it on people here. It's like, just in case you didn't get he was evil. Here's an evil thing he's going to do. <laughs> and it gets much more to like an American audience as yeah. well, like, especially a certain demographic of American audience that line would have been like foaming at the mouth. Not our veterans. The veterans. <laughs> they've, they've done enough for this country. They don't deserve this. They yeah, don't deserve really to be made like... lizard men. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Depending on what, what blogs you're reading, some people believe they already are. Again, well, yeah. Why did they play that and have Kirk Connors be running for president of the United States? <laughs> he turns into a lizard. Again, even the... Well, he's just like a... Yeah, you could... You could read this as, as like, Kurt Connors is some kind of, like, leader of, like, a QAnon faction or something like that. It's like some kind of, like... We'll see tomorrow. Maybe he is breeding the next Who knows? So, yeah, it's got more minor characters. I feel like... 
Aunt May doesn't really get no. time to shine in this. But what do you think of Sally Field's performance as uh, as Aunt May? I like Sally Field a lot in general. Um, and I watched the second one of it just again uh, after I watched watched the first one for prep for this just to whilst I was on the <laughs> whilst I was on the wagon. And uh, she's clear she's given so much more to do in the second one, and there's so much more fleshed out in that of their relationship in the second one because I think they end up looking at this and going, oh, we didn't do anything with Aunt May. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we did it. The, the one scene we do get is like, I, I think it's quite, the thing is, for all this film's flaws, it's got some like quite tender moments. And yes. I love this moment that you get between Peter and Aunt May. What a pretty girl. Mm. Yeah. So Uncle Ben said. Did you ask her out? Why? Can't. Why? I'm just no good for her. Peter Parker, if there's one thing you are, it's good. Anyone has a problem with that can talk to me. <laughs> I do like like that. See that that's that is nice. And there's there's a couple beats like that. You're right. Yeah. There's that. There's also that beat near the end where like he's starting to kind of realize the responsibility he still has to her, and he's like coming back after being like properly like battered and bruised after fighting a lizard, but he has remembered the carton of eggs this time, and they just have like a quiet moment where. And I feel like it's the film, and they do kind of play on it a bit more in the second one, that Aunt May kind of knows but isn't telling him. And again, it's an element that's always existed where she kind of, you get the sense that she kind of knows. Um, but again, there's something about her, her characterization in this where it feels like they're trying to play a part, play up a part of the character that hasn't really been played up in the... Sam Raimi movies at all in that uh, she's not his uh, maternal like as in she's not blood related to Peter Parker she's related to him through marriage Uncle Uncle Ben is his uh, dad's brother uh -huh. uh, so I, there's initially a part where I feel like, thought the film is kind of kind of explore that maybe that separation and how that suddenly the two of them are having to kind of be alone as a unit and uh, addressing the kind of the fact that like more mm -hmm. there's more that ties them together than they don't need blood to tie them together there's more that kind of builds that bond between them but again it doesn't it's not really given the room to breathe but in moments like that it does does come through because you even you have that kind of initial comment sounds like she's kind of saying it like oh who pretty girl she's kind of saying it from a distance not wanting to encroach too much until he lets her in a bit mm -hmm. more which it, it's nicely played again nicely played by two very good actors and yeah it's just something moments like that in the film do exist between between those two between peter and gwen less so um the kind of antagonist figures they don't really get super amount of time together before he becomes a big lizard man but you are right those moments where it does let the emotion come in a bit more. Do play nicely. 
the the one thing about that moment though is it's like it feels like this film is really tussling with the idea of like who are we giving screen time to yeah uncle ben or aunt aunt may and then like that is so that 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 kind of tender moment is is followed by this peter i know things have been difficult lately (laughs) and i'm sorry about that I think I know what you're feeling. Ever since you were a little boy, you've been living with so many unresolved things. Well, take it from an old man. Those things send us down a road. They make us who we are. And if anyone's destined for greatness, it's you, son. You owe the world your gifts. You just have to figure out how to use them and know that wherever they take you, we'll always be here. So come on home, Peter. You're my hero. And I love you. I feel like that score is doing a lot of heavy. Oh, yeah. That's literally Martin Sheen phoning in, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, what do you make of Martin Sheen in this? Uh, Obviously, a uh, a kind of made his name through a through a Francis Ford Coppola film, indeed, uh, with Apocalypse Now, and obviously now he's here here in his old age. Kind of sounds like he's just yeah getting that paycheck and yeah. I don't I don't feel a lot a lot from him in this. I must say, again, it's I, I think it's down to a way that the writers feel a little. The, the kind of commitment to Uncle Ben is a little flippant again. And like I said earlier, it kind of barrels through the crucial beats. And like particularly that kind of last line of that speech where he says, you're my hero, Pete. I just remember when I was watching it the other day and he said that, I was like, you haven't expressed that sentiment at all. <laughs> when have you shown this? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you kind of get it throughout the film. He's just like ragging on him. Yeah, he's just really pissed off with him all the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and it it kind like the way Peter is acting, and that's the thing. The way Peter is acting is kind of understandable from like a thirteen-year-old who kind of like is maybe understanding his emotions a bit more and is kind of starting to realize the ramifications of his parents kind of yeah. disappearing one night probably a memory that he still has but like at the age of 17 it's like it feels like that kind of stuff should have been like addressed before now and it kind of like it, it, yeah it, it draws back to my point where it's like why like it feels awfully convenient that it's it's the age 17 when he's kind of like i don't know a bit more like likely to become spite do you know what I mean yeah. it fits the plot a lot more that he's he's now going through this kind of turmoil of like who am I really? Who are my parents? Yeah. And like Uncle Ben just I, I don't know, kind of gets a bit short shrift in this Again, film. yeah, you don't really feel the weight of it and like you I again it does just feel like they're too nervous about being so directly compared to the Raimi run. Particularly because across that whole that whole trilogy the spectral presence of uh uncle ben is really felt um which is something that like this 
film, this film, two film run ends up doing in a really weird way in part two, where it keeps having Dennis Leary po- pop up as ghost dad, ghost cop dad for, <laughs> for a lot of that movie. <laughs> but yeah, again, it's just like it undersells the kind of meaning of a lot of, it really undersells for me the impact that the death of Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben's supposed to have on Peter Parker. It's not, it it's all technically there. It's just not not really. There's not really a strong sense of commitment to it. Even to the point where, for a, for a beat, it's following this thread of kind of Spider-Man on the outside of the law of the law as a vigilante with a very specific agenda, hunting down uh, perps who look like uh, Uncle Ben's killer. And then, what well, that's quite an interesting look at, like the idea of him wrestling with his responsibility but then that all gets kind of shoved away and put back in the drawer and forgotten about when it needs to become a fight big cgi bad guy movie and have a big fight on a skyscraper at the end that much more interesting idea of working with a spikier angrier peter parker is just not given it it's shoved away and just not given the space to breathe again See, I, w- I think what would have made this a, like, a more effective origin story is if they kind of like done it of the angle of him searching for Uncle Ben's killer and kind of like stumbles upon something that is a lot more low level that isn't kind of like linked back to his past. Yeah. It's kind of like Oscorp's like at the front and center of it like it is in the kind of Raimi stuff mm-hmm. with like Norman Osborn as the Green Goblin. It's like, get away from that. Keep it. The friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This kind of idea of like, he's got these new powers. He's on this kind of revenge mission, but then kind of stumbles into something that he's a bit over his head to to, yeah. to, to get into. I think it's a lot more interesting way they could have taken this. There's, a re- there's really like, again, all the ingredients are kind of there to kind of go that route, but it's just not like, it's the other paths taken really. It's like to go for that more, uh, PG friendly summer blockbuster, big movie bad guy. But like, I think the the seeds for like a really good kingpin story is here. Like, particularly if you are following this track where he is kind of going mm-hmm. more into crime yeah. and uh, people a bit more in the underworld. If he does just keep stumbling further and further into that, you've got like a you've got like a really cool layered kind of textured. Uh, tale of like corruption and crime in New York that you could bleed in, but it, and it's something that they've done in the comics numerous times. But yeah, they 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 end up going more down the route that you've again you've seen in the Raimi run, which is weird for <laughs> how trepidatious the film feels yeah, around yeah. that. Well, yeah, you kind of get the idea that like there is this seedy underbelly of New York with this exchange between. Peter Parker and uh, Captain Stacy. Hmm. Is, assault- is assaulting people? <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I saw that video. I mean, him and the car thief, and I, th- I think most people would say that he was providing a public service. Most people would be wrong. If I wanted the car thief off the street, he'd already be off the street. So why wasn't he then? <laughs> Let me illuminate you. See, the car thief was leading us to the people who run the entire operation. It's been a six-month-long sting. It's called strategy. I'm sure you're aware of the term strategy. You've probably heard about that in school. Okay. Good. 
So yeah, that that very much speaks to that idea of yeah. King I want to know where that draft was. I want to know where that draft is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it's the thing when when I saw like James Vanderbilt's name, I was like, ah, oh, you have written one of my favorite films of all time in Zodiac. Yeah, and like your name is on this script and i think he's been he's been done dirty a few times i think recently yeah. i remember like looking for his credits i think he wrote the original script to uh murder mystery that kind of like got uh happy madison right yeah <laughs> that, that, that was supposed to be like from the sounds of it was supposed to be a lot more akin to so like a uh, a knives out kind of thing, yeah. like a, a, a modern take on the Who Done It, and then got yeah Adam Sandler got his grubby mitts all over it, and was like, I, Nah, we're gonna we're gonna make it, we're gonna make a, a knockabout holiday me, me comedy. Holiday <laughs> I think, yeah, 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 yeah. It's gonna be Adam Sandler has another holiday. I think he's someone on uh, Independence Day too, as well, James Vanderbilt. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the poor guy. Yeah. Like, He's hopefully doing all right now. I'm hoping. <laughs> He's on Scream, I believe. I'm hoping his obituary, like the the top line, is Zodiac. He's not. He's not getting any of those. Writer. No one of the Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Story by credit for the Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's there turning in his grave. I did one drop. I did one drop. (laughs) It was when Raimi was there. (laughs) (laughs) So let let let, let's talk about the way this is film. This film is written, and um, I I want to play a clip to to give us uh, uh, a little flavour of what this script delivers to us. Peter Parker, no mother, no father, no uncle, all alone. He's not alone. I remember laughing at that line when uh, when they, again, it's like, ah. It it ends up like it, that's taken from that bit beat that we're kind of talking about, where it does just end up as like fight big CGI bad guy on a skyscraper moment, where it, it yeah. ends up going down this like because the lizard is like one of these great Spider Man villains, like of all like kind of comic book characters, like Spider Man and Batman have the best like rogue galleries of bad guys to pick from, and a lot of like the Spider Man bad guys are are from this kind of. As you were saying, there's this element of man pushing science too far and uh, hubris of man kind of having to uh, reckon with the seeds that you've sown and being like li- literally di- uh, like changed and uh, man as monster. It's all, all very literal, but like all, all that kind of rich, dramatic nature. And that, like, and again, he's just another character with. Uh, in another film where it's not also acting as an origin, uh, where you can kind of let uh, the lizards have own a bit more of the narrative, like in a way that kind of Doc Ock does in Spider-Man 2, mm-hmm. uh, you'd feel like that would probably do more justice and allow it to sit more with the kind of approach that the film is doing if it's already established its main hero. It feels too big of a big of a character to tick off in 
the space of everything else that's happening. And yeah, and I, I, I think it's quite telling that it's like you hear like a big thing why Raimi and Sony ended up falling out was like kind of discussions about which villain to use and like Raimi wanted the vulture and Sony want, again wanted a few of them in the mix. Um, and the lizard being one of them and the Raimi run. And it's a shame for like Dylan Baker's version of Kurt Connors because he has two films where he's already got the relationship established with Peter Parker. So he is kind of primed yeah. for like Spider-Man 4 or what have you to become the lizard. And instead they just kind of have to, again, fast forward through all the kind of key character beats of relationship between these two. And again, tying it back into this kind of forced, uh, mysterious uh, parent parentage question. And yeah, he, he, again, robs the character. He, yeah, he feels like a second or third film villain. Yeah. That's what I mean. It kind of feels like the, the first film needs to be. And that's what I think that the... Um, the the newest like run did quite well is like the vulture seems like quite a like as much as it is part of like the sinister seven and stuff like the sinister six or yeah. whatever it is like he feels quite low level and the way that they like portray him as like he his origin is like being a part of this cleanup crew yeah to deal with the aftermath of what like the avengers are doing and stuff like that feels quite neighborhood whereas like this feels like too like too grand and too like do you know I mean? like, yeah like you know that classic thing where like the third film it's like and it's somebody from your past like it feels like the third the third one in a trilogy where it's like that's the thing where it's like or somebody who's been lingering around like yeah like you said with the Raimi stuff like they kind of they'd built up that character whereas this it's like and it, it's also oh, just that just... the motivation of him gets so murky and when as soon as he's kind of going down and dwelling in a dank sewer it beca- like that's when like everything kind of else gets dropped away and it just moves through this kind of perfunctory uh big bad guy with big plan to uh destroy new york like his ulti- ultimate plan in the end is to shoot up this toxin so that everyone in new york also then gets changed into a lizard um <laughs> which is born out of him like them just kind of going for the cliched he's mad now because he's a lizard man and he wants all other people to be lizard yeah. men because it's the next step in I, evolution <laughs> i really don't get like his motivation yeah like, it, it switches so quickly from being like he says to ifran khan's character i will never like do that like do you know what I mean? yeah like, he kind of like really like really like Hills and it's like the next scene we see of him, it's like he's injecting himself with the serum. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just don't like, and then it's like, even by the end of it, it's like, what is your why? Why is your plan? Not what is your plan? I know what it is, but why is your plan? Like, why do you really want to do this? Yeah, and why do you have, apart from the fact that Peter Parker is Spider Man, what is the real vendetta there? Do you know what I mean? It's just like. He happens to be the one person who's onto you. Yeah, and it's like it just feels a bit forced and a bit just like, well, he'll do. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like it's like really his. It could have been a lot more interesting if it was that thing of Kurt Connors was going after the Ifran Khan character, and it's like Spider Man is there in in between both of them. Do you know what I mean? He's yeah. trying to fight like he he. 
he has to weirdly for, for, for what is morally right protect somebody who is immoral and kind of like like real world bad yeah at the same time he has to take down this superhero bad who's kind of like yeah and it 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 it, it drops it drops the Fran Khan stuff early and then just goes Kurt Connors is mad, like as you said. Yeah. Like, he's mad, he's bad. and He's it, got a he's, thing he wants to shoot in the sky. <laughs> and I don't even get that. Like, So I, this is my, I guess this is a problem I have with uh, films in general when like there is a kind of a countdown. It's yeah. like if you have a plan to do something, why allow, why not just plug it in, shoot that baby in the sky? Yeah. It makes no sense. Because <laughs> like, it, like, even the that general plot beat, the the very first episode of the '90s Spider-Man cartoon is a lizard episode, and the plot of that follows a similar thing where he is kind of having a battle of his mind and has a device which he wants to use to turn other people into lizard men. But that twenty-minute cartoon one manages to kind of make the motivation a lot clearer and also gives him more of an emotional link that's all his own because he has a wife that he initially kid- kidnaps to try to persuade her to come to his his way of thinking that li- lizard, lizard men should rule supreme. And like even that like 20-minute cartoon does more for that character than like this this narrative does, unfortunately, as it ends up. I, again, it feels like there's a, a bit of a case of, as as does happen with a lot of these kind of big property reboots or sequels it kind of and some of them can end up feeling more of an exercise in trying to maintain an ownership of a character rights or trying to keep a brand alive mm-hmm. and in the culture conscious and this is this is coming at a weird time in like particularly columbia pictures and sony's relationship in marvel as the MB- mcu is hitting that first peak with the first Avengers, and now they're suddenly like, well, yeah, I, we still have Spider-Man, he's ours. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, look, looking through the credits, Kevin Feige is like an executive producer on this film. So, like, mm. it, is, it is interesting that, like, he kind of has some some involvement. Yeah, there sure was... How he, that works. It or... would have dated back to work, because he started working at Marvel in the 90s, so it would it date, it, he's got a exec credit on all the like early x-men's and raimi spider-man's so he he would have been someone i imagined because because of his involvement with the development of when it was still a raimi movie he would have to kind of have that credit but i even remember at the time they were having discussions about maybe dropping in the avengers skyscraper in the new york skyline to start like weaving in some ties but again this was at a point where just just before that kind of Sony email hack where a lot of things were clearly at a boiling point amongst Sony execs. Uh, so nothing ever really got through until kind of after that watershed moment. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of skirted around talking about the lizard, but what do you think of Reese Barnes's portrayal? <laughs> yeah, again, it's a shame because he's a good actor who's like, I think he's doing absolutely... the the best he can with the material he's given that goes from this kind of initially setting up this quite quite caring, thoughtful, sensitive scientist that then just ends up barreling into uh, a very cliched, I'm evil scientist, and even like that clip there, which is so just like pure, like pantomime villain sort of approach that just doesn't sit with the tone or 
that has been established earlier in the film. <laughs> and this moment, right, when it's like where most films would put a seed of doubt in the, the lead character's mind of like, is, is the person that they kind of are involved with slightly like that? that no, could yeah. be the villain. They just like signpost it and go, this guy's the villain with this delivery right here. <laughs> There's a rumor of a new species in New York. Beautiful and quite large. What do you know about it? Have you seen it? No, it's not yet classified. But it can be aggressive. <laughs> if threatened. So that that <laughs> that that scene <laughs> is just like what the Yeah, fuck? it's pure what it's now fuck? pure like, down in Universal Horror Movie Monster sort of Jackal and Hyde mode at that juncture, isn't it? <laughs> one thing from that scene that I was like devastated that never saw a turn is that like mutant lizard uh, mouse. Yeah, that is like, <laughs> why don't we get like a, a reprise of that in like the yeah. final act? Like, I really hope like, he he webbed up that mouse across? so it's not get, getting anywhere because that looked vicious. <laughs> Yeah, it looked terrifying. I was like, <laughs> sure, like, and that's the thing that like, this film. I imagine even at a twelve A could really lent into the body horror. Of, yeah, particularly of, with of the, the lizards, lizard, right? Like that. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that, that. One of my notes for just that first transformation bit is just crusty, slimy arm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, like all of that stuff, and then and then we get that like it's clearly like a prosthetic because it's larger than a human hand when it when he peels off the crust, and yeah. he's got this kind of like I don't know like looks like latex. He's got this like latex hand. Ooh. Like, Ooh, hello, hello, I've got my arm back, and I don't know. I think yeah, I th I think the lizard was. And what do you think of the character design? Like the, the design oh, it's of very the lizard as well, kind of very strange because I I feel like they're they're kind of looking at like the version of the characters got like kind of like a big the version of the character in comic books and cartoons has like a big snout and he's you know, much more scaly. I, I like that they keep the web the the lab coat for a little bit at least, but like the. I, and I get on a design level that they kind of want to get rid of that snout and put it so it's slightly more human face, but they still do this thing where they keep the mouth, the lipless mouth, I should say, very long and what lo long across his face, so that even when he talks, it he can't. Mm -hmm. It's not helping like a performance come through really at all, and it just ends up looking kind of. Again, it feels like something that's in between certain designs or in between certain drafts that doesn't really feel like they've come to a coherent uh, final place on it. It just it feels odd to me. It looks a lot like uh, yeah. the uh, uh, like Cooper Troopers in um, the old uh, Super Mario Brothers movie with Bob Hoskins and. Ah, uh, that, that was literally on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> that was on the tip of my. I, all, all I was thinking every time it's on the screen was like, "Yeah, this is this is Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> this is Super Mario, like down to like I couldn't get it out of my head, and it's like that thing of." I don't know, Matt. Like even with No Way Home, I'm like they've had they've had yeah, to have like readdress that. Stayed with that. <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's like please readdress it slightly because yeah. it was a bit it was a bit hokey. Um, 
So uh, one person we talked about is briefly was Dennis Leary in this film. And before we kind of talk about his performance, I just want to uh, play a clip of his swan song moment. You're going to make enemies. People will get hurt. Sometimes people closest to you. So I want you to promise me something, okay? Leave Gwen out of it. Promise me that. Huh? You promise me. What what are your thoughts on 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 Dennis Leary as Captain Stacy in this? Uh, and I, I just like most of the time throughout this whole film, I just get going. Christ, he's a prick. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, I, I I I think the casting of Dennis Leary in anything, like cause all, <laughs> yeah, he is. A all, all I remember of Dennis Leary is 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 like the 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 top one hundred greatest comedians that would have played when I was about like, 10, 11 yeah. years old on like BBC Four, always around Christmas, and there was that thing, and kind of knowing him as this guy who just ate like bill hicks and just chain smoking on stage like really angry all the time going like i tell you fucking what man i tell you what man like just this like and it, it's kind of perfect casting but it's like he's too much of a prick yeah like, for, like he, he, and 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 his turnaround as a character in this of like being like arrest spider-man he kind of feels like he's uh the police captain and uh James Jonah Jameson rolled into one yeah, character. They do kind of like, fold like, them in, don't they? Oh, I <laughs> there, there was one line in particular that was like, and again, it's not really Dennis Leary's fault, but like, yeah, he's a he's a he's a dude. He's a questionable dude anyway. We won't get into that, but like, <laughs> there's, he's a real James Wood. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's one line that is like it's as the they the. The police know the lizard's in New York, and he's like he's dangerous, and he's going out to do something that's going to harm a lot of people. And one of the first things they do when they turn up the scene, uh, the scene is Captain Stacy just out shouts, "I want Spider-Man off the streets!" And I'm like, I think there's something. I think there's a bigger thing to deal with here right now, Captain Stacy. <laughs> Leave Spider-Man alone, please. Prioritize. <laughs> uh, I love this moment when the. Uh... <laughs> when the lizard is taking over Oscorp. Well, Paul, if I didn't see it, I wouldn't believe it. I won't venture to say exactly what it is that's crawling up the north side of the Oscorp Tower, but clearly it is not human, and it is very, very strong. <laughs> that that feels like the writers going like, we need to let the audience know that this is bad. It's like, we've seen the lizard. We know it's bad. Yeah, like, we get it Why now. are you now giving us like some kind of... <laughs> some news correspondent or like some uh, some random guy in a helicopter tell us it's real bad, real bad, real angry. <laughs> Reminds me of like this weird, this there's a, even a weird bit in Spider-Man 3. I don't know if you, how well you remember Spider-Man 3, but the big oh, battle at the end between everyone. 
there's just a this random British woman reporter down on the ground is just going, oh no, Spider-Man's really in trouble now. This might be the end of Spider-Man. And it's just like, why are you here? Why are we hearing this? Amazing. <laughs> it reminds me of that kind of like, again, it's that like, like you say, it's like that it's a, a studio note probably worrying that audiences aren't getting what is in pretty explicit and implicit on screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I, I feel like we've kind of ragged on this film quite a lot. It, a, it doesn't do a lot good, but like there are there are some like really significant like big components which are strong which really do help it. <laughs> well, yeah. Let 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 let's talk about a couple of those. Um, one of them that like I, one thing I did not think when rewatching this was like I would feel anything emotional, mm. <laughs> and one of the moments that made me feel really emotional was this. It's okay. It's all right. Ah! Oh, hey, look. Just a normal guy, right? Want to hold on to this? Hold my mask. All right. What's your name? Jack. Yes. Let's get you out of here. Okay. Stay very still. All right. Okay, I got you. So th that is really Spider-Man saving that up. a kid from a car. <laughs> and 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 his so so Jack's dad is played by C. Thomas Howe, who a lot of people Indeed may know he from is. Um, <laughs> Criminal Minds, who. Like plays like a kind of overarching villain in that, but like people in the Coppola sphere, like uh, listeners of this podcast, may know him as the lead in The Outsiders. Mm -hmm. So a big Coppola connection with Steve Thomas Howe in a, a very small role. But that scene, like all the other stuff, I don't give a shit about in that scene. Like the yeah. kind of like like seeing the lizard. But there's something about that moment mm -hmm. with like Jack. That like I'm not sure if it's like the thing I because like, I'm a dad I was just like oh I got a lump in my throat <laughs> and it was it's it's a really it's a really affecting moment what do you, what what do you make of these kind of more yeah I, I'm yeah, I'm really glad you moments. you brought that particularly that scene up uh, because I it's this is probably my least favorite Spider-Man film but that moment with saving Jack on the bridge is probably in like my top five like cinematic Spider-Man moment moments. One because like it's clearly a scene that means a lot to Andrew Garfield to get to play as Spider-Man because it's quite a significant scene for his Peter Parker's growth into kind of starting to accept the kind of responsibility he has. And it has that moment where he's like uh he's like he takes off his mask so that Jack can see his face so he isn't scared by him and hands Jack the mask and says like put this on it will make you strong to encourage it's a it's a really lovely beat of just like the kind of pure hard nature of peter parker and spider-man and also just mm -hmm. the kind speaks to the kind of strength that andrew garfield to talk is talking about in that hollywood reporter roundtable yeah. the kind of uh symbolic nature of the of these kind of characters for 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 kids and, and for people when they're growing up in particular, it's it's a it's a really 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 strong moment in this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it really reminded me of that um, MJ speech in Into the Spider Verse, mm. where 
she kind of mentions that like uh, anyone can kind of put on the mask like kind of thing anyone can be like a hero and stuff like that yeah i think like that is one of the crowning things of of spider-man is that like he feels so like every day do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? he's like the friendly neighborhood spider-man that it's like we could all do our little bit to kind of help out almost yeah kind of like which is why the genetic blood like plot line is so annoying <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and it is that thing of like because that moment really says like all you need to do is like yeah anyone anyone could put on the mask and be yeah spider-man do you know what i mean like it's it's that confidence and it's that strength and this film very very much flirts with that idea of like i don't know like just and it it really shits the bed with it as well because it's like it is that thing of like you could find confidence in yourself by like kind of uh self-betterment and stuff like that but it's if anything this film kind of says it like you need to get bit by a spider and your your, all your problems will be solved you'll be irresistible to the girl you fancy (laughs) you'll you'll be able to deal with the bullies and stuff like that whereas it like it could have taken a bit more of a attack to it and gone like Mm. this could be anyone do you know what i mean like this really like what what do you think like kind of going off of this scene as well um because one of the scenes that i think often like kind of gets laughed about a bit with this movie is like so see thomas howell is not done yet in the amazing spider-man he comes back in the final act because it turns out he's also a crane driver and when he hears spider-man's in trouble and needs to be able to swing to oscorp he rallies his buddies (laughs) in all the cranes to line up so spider-man can swing to uh Oscorp Tower. That that again. That's like evolution of that kind of like New Yorker spirit that's in a lot of Spider-Man things. But it's a it's another beat that I actually quite enjoy for like again. As I a, love it as a really I, good I expression of Spider-Man. It, yeah, I really like that beat as well. Like <laughs> uh, no, I I I've written in my notes. I've never been like emotionally moved by construction <laughs> you move like those cranes boys like, <laughs> yeah, i'm like clutching my chest like oh this is like, this is beautiful do you know what i mean it's like then that that you never know those kind of kind deeds you might do how they might come to repay you and it's kind yeah. of that's what it said to me and it's like how much that for spider-man that's just part and parcel of being spider-man but yeah. for for that guy that has like changed his fucking life yeah and this this is a way to repay spider-man so it's like yeah people might laugh at it but it's like that is a great scene is it is it any any more silly than when like i think it's joey diaz in spider-man 2 where he's like we're new yorkers you gotta get passed up (laughs) yeah is it any more silly than that (laughs) yeah it's that on a grander scale yeah it's like this is new york coming together like oh yeah oh like i don't know it's it, i don't like i don't know it's, it's it's almost up there with uh the 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 statue of liberty coming through uh new york yeah new york coming together with good vibes yeah to, to, to get the job done like, yeah, there's, a, there's some parallels there definitely apart from yeah there's no there's no is it bobby brown or there's no there's no there's no <laughs> good tunes no <laughs> no chad craig um, <laughs> that's it yeah oh. here i 
can save us. The closest yeah, to get to an uh, anthem uh, is him skateboarding oh, bang, to a uh, <laughs> him skateboarding to a Coldplay song. I think that's the closest he got to get. Coldplay song. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had to Google that. I was like, Something what is that song? Uh, God, Coldplay. Like, um, Till Kingdom Comes or something, or something like that. It's well, like that. It feels like one person we haven't talked... It feels like one person we haven't talked about in this is Emma Stone. So yes. as as we start to, like, wind things down, what do you think of what do you think of Emma Stone in this film? Yeah. So I know we have ragged on this, and it's like, it is only because I care about Spider-Man so much, and it feels like this is a film that really has elements that really are so close to working that it's so clearly murdered by different intentions coming in at different points in time and Fred's piling in and crashing and kind of going nowhere. Um, but the main thing that kind of allows this film to really stand up and kind of have its own identity more than anything else that it's doing is in kind of Garfield and Stone. And it, it's just, I remember when like that casting was announced and just thinking, Christ, that's, that's perfect casting because she, she particularly Stone and as it carries over into the second one as well, their chemistry is just so, it's got this, it's quite authentic as kind of like an awkward uh, teenage uh, burgeoning romance where they, they both don't quite really know what they, they're doing, but they, the only thing that they really do know is that they really do like each other. And it, yes, it helps mm-hmm. that they were dating behind the scenes, but like it is that sort of chemistry that is just so like lightning in the bottle for movie, like movie romantic pairings like this. And it is, it gives the film again those moments of heart and character that do work in this. One come from the kind of nature of Spider Man's character on a, on a kind of like DNA level, but also from the, the chemistry between these two. And allowing even the kind of like silly bits, like there's that scene on the balcony where he's like, I've been bitten. And she's like, yeah, so, so have I. And it's yeah. kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a bit like, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a weird lie. But like, I like the way they play it because they're kind of like, they are just being like slightly awkward and, uh, <laughs> and teenagery about it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like that stuff. I lo- I love that moment when she invites him round for dinner and she like kind of gets nervous. About, Did you bring like, your suit? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like or like even when she invites him round and they're in like the hallway of school and she says to him something to like the effect like she's like, I forgot to write the apartment on there. And it's very sweet yeah. and kind of like We're having Branzino. Uh, like, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I I think their relationship is like, I yeah I think if they'd kind of lent into this being like a, a romantic comedy and oh by the way he's Spider Man could have like yeah. really like the, the thing is that this film is a hodgepodge and a, a bit of a mess of what it really wants to to do and there's kind of a lot of like threads dangling and stuff like that that don't get pulled on but like I, I think the stuff between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone works yeah like really well and she gets she 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 gets this brilliant line oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> when, when he eventually tells her that he's yeah. spider-man I, that's also like, I, I, I love that that's an element of like this take as well that like he, he he likes her so much and is so like so wants to kind of be with her that he he doesn't really try to hide the fact that he's spider-man from her which is quite a nice 
significant change from like the Tobey Maguire ones where he is trying so hard to keep that from MJ for two films. Uh, with, with Gwen, he's just like, he, he's so nervous to want to want to have something genuine with her that he's just straight out like, I, I, I'm Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> with the, the weird I, like, I, 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 <laughs> Yeah, that, that I, I did write in my notes, is that sexual harassment? Is that sexual just, assault? Uh, like, that kind of like... Whips to, to him, it may be. <laughs> The, he is a, uh, one of he my is a bit creepy, actually. He keeps going up fire escapes and uh, just hanging around. He's <laughs> a real horn dog. <laughs> this is the, the horniest Spider-Man yeah. I think we've ever got. And the fact that he's just always like, I think when they're sitting on the bleachers at one point, he's like, I just love kissing. Yeah. And it's just like, he always like he always just wants to, and like when he takes her out for that swing beforehand, he's just all like sweaty and disheveled and like kind of like, it's like he's just like pulling her close and stuff, and it it kind of feels like, like all right, Peter. Like as as the as the spider bite affected your libido. There's a like, you're, there you're is a really bit of like an Edward Cullen dog all of a sudden, an Edward Cullen vibe. Now I think about it, isn't there? To particularly this <laughs> this yeah. version of him. <laughs> yeah, I I I I I think she's 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 an absolute like I don't know like. North Star in yeah. this film of just kind of she, same for the just, sequel as well. She kind of nails <laughs> everything she does right. Like she just like, yeah, she's she's perfect. She, she's amazing. Well, so uh, yeah. But <laughs> before we uh, wrap things wrap things up on this film, is there is there anything we've missed, Andy? Is there anything that I, on this film that you kind of feel like is a, gl- a glaring admission? I would be remiss if I didn't uh, not tip tip the cap to James Horner as you've kind of highlighted in some of the clips you've picked and you said as well like a lot some scenes the music does a lot of the heavy lifting James Horner being a, a, a contributed to many Amblin films so he is someone I I've gotten to know quite intimately through my own podcast and this is one one of his last like completed film scores he did before uh, his untimely death in a plane crash and it's a it's a, it's a really sweet emotional playful when it needs to be but like you say it really carries a lot of the big sweeping moments of like sentiment yeah. in a way that it feels quite affecting so yeah I just, tip of the hat as always to the ma- the great composer that was James Horner yeah like, like I, I love how jaunty it is in some aspects yeah. like, <laughs> I, I played you before we, we got on a, a part of the uh, it's, it's playing right now the uh playing basketball from the score. <laughs> and it's got this kind of like almost like home alone-esque yeah to it that like i really dig and like I, I i love the way that yeah he kind of he knows the assignment right and it's like when we need something that is emotionally devastating yeah we get something emotionally devastating when we need something that is kind of like showing the playful fun nature of spider-man you're gonna get that as well yeah. like Consummate uh, professional. Yeah, james horner Absolutely knocks out the park. So, um, I want to ask you. You, you well, you've already, you've shot your load early on this. I wanted to ask you where does this rank in the kind of yeah. pantheon of Spider-Man content? But this is bottom of the barrel for you. Right? This is bottom of the barrel. Let me just load up my letterbox list very quickly to revive myself where I've put all the other ones. This is yeah. This one's bottom, and next is the Amazing Spider-Man Two. There isn't a lot between the two, these two 
Danica, I think they suffer from a lot of similar problems where there's so many threads going on. The second one I enjoy a bit more because it feels like it's a lot more colourful and a lot more dynamic. Sorry, sorry, John. But uh, <laughs> the sequel shot by Dan, <laughs> by Dan Mendel is like just much more comic booky and looks like bright, poppy, and amazing, like an amazing Spider-Man sort of comic book feel. And it's hard not to get swept up in that kind of uh, bubblegum look sometimes. <laughs> and then, yeah, then it then it would go Spider-Man Three, then Far From Home, then the first Raimi Spider-Man. Homecoming, Into the Spider-Verse, and then Spider-Man 2, which is one of my favorite films of all time, and also just, yeah, still the perfect superhero film for me. <laughs> I, I, I guess you're excited for No Way Home, right? Especially the I, fact that we're I, getting I, Alfred Molina back. Yeah, I, I am excited as a Spider-Man fan, and I like the idea of kind of blending universes. It feels like a the only way that like Marvel can really go now, but I like there's I, we've already been hurt by like uh, Spider-Man sequels that throw in about six villains at once. So I I, I hope they've learned their lessons from the times that they've done it before, and it's not quite worked. <laughs> yeah, I I I I will be devastated if we don't get Paul Giamatti. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, no way home. Like that's the you 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 can keep your electros. You can even keep your Green Goblin. I don't know. No, no. I, I, I will. I will buy a ticket opening day for anything that. Happens <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've got my tickets. Check, but... check, check me at the cinema with about five other people. Yeah. Watching the ca- the card counter because Willem Dafoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So let me ask you: Is like where does Andrew Garfield rank for you as a, a Spider Man? Mm. Then is he bottom of the barrel for you? Yeah, but not like. It's not because I dislike him as Spider-Man. I think he's try. I think he's really trying for something here, and isn't mm-hmm. quite serviced. He isn't that well serviced by the material he's given. But I, I think what he's doing and the approach he's doing it, I like. He's he's such a kind of empathetic performer who likes kind of making his characters quite messy, and he like brings that to Peter Parker as well. And I, 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 I do like it, but I. I think I yeah probably out of the three, it would be my least favorite. And I think I, I largely Tobey Maguire is my favorite just because of how much that's in de- like ingrained in childhood nostalgia more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the thing is like Andrew Garfield has, has proved himself time and time again of like what a fantastic actor he yeah. is. Like, I'm not sure how you felt about Tick Tick Boom, but like yeah, I liked it. E- 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 even your view. Even the views on that film, you cannot deny that, like, mm-hmm. he is kind of like an age plus like actor. In like, he carries that film. Yeah. It's kind of like he's almost there for like every single frame of it, and like, kind of is there with a plum of just like mm-hmm. I'm gonna throw myself into it. And like, even on like I don't know, seeing him, he seems confused, like in in some regards to like. Where is he from? Like, he has this kind of weird transatlantic yeah. accent. Because like, I remember seeing him first of all, like, staying up late and watching Sugar Rush on, like, Channel oh, 4. Oh, yeah. Was, I remember uh, Sugar Rush. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if you remember. It was a, a kind of, like, um, lesbian comedy drama mm. set in Brighton. And, like, Andrew Garfield played, like, the kind of... Um, 
neighbor next door who had affections for the lead character and i, I like, like I, I remember him from then so like to kind of watch him develop into this like actor who kind of like i'm always excited yeah what he's going to be in next because he's kind of like what he's worked with scorsese he's kind of he he won an oscar working with Gibson. Um, <laughs> and like but like he's got he, he feels like he's got like there, there's great things to come yeah andrew garfield i think like his his like like you mentioned that uh hollywood round table thing like feels like he's got his head screwed on mm -hmm. especially like the the things that these comic book and these kind of mega blockbusters could be doing feels like a, a, a really either really business savvy or kind of like he's actually socially conscious and yeah is aware of of of, of what hollywood could be doing better I think like that's, I agree. That's, yeah, to 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 share that on such a massive platform is 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 a is, is a great thing. So yeah, Andrew Garfield, despite being the worst Spider Man, seems like and a great guy. And yeah, and still a good Spider Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He, he just got he just got he just got dealt the wrong cards, yeah. right? He got he got dealt a pack of jokers. <laughs> <laughs> Right, as I like to wrap these episodes up before we get to some uh, scorings, did you manage to find any Coppola connections within this film? And by that, I mean, did anyone who worked on this film work with a Coppola elsewhere in their career? I found a few, actually. Uh, <laughs> we let's go Let's go one for one. You hit me with one, I'll hit All right. you with one. Uh, so to kind of just bounce straight off of Andrew Garfield, he, of course, worked with... Uh, yeah, Coppola and Mainstream, which is available in the UK now. I feel like you're the man to ask about this. Is it on iTunes now? Yeah, it got it got like quietly shitted out right. quite recently. I like, would like, like to watch that. By the way, <laughs> Mainstream is out now. Which, like, <laughs> yeah, I would really like to, that. Feels like he's kind of he, he he's channeling what like Jake Gyllenhaal was doing in Okja. <laughs> like, like, those two, I think, like are kind of battling out to be like. Who can fucking do the weirdest shit, man? Who can kind of like go out there and really freeform jazz a performance? And I, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm loving it, especially as a, a Nick Cage fan. It's like I'm always there going, who's the next Nick Cage? Who's going to like have this really <laughs> burgeoning great early career and then drift off into obscurity and then come back as, as, as a great actor? Uh, um, so... Emma Stone, let's throw that one mm -hmm. out there. She is in The Croods and The Croods A New Age with Nicolas Cage. Indeed. Over to you, Andy. Um, I'll, I'll get the big obvious one out of the way. Martin Sheen, he's in Apocalypse Now, <laughs> directed by Francis Ford Coppola. You may, <laughs> you may have heard of it. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. Uh, Reese Ifans, here's, here's like um, a, cu a couple of weird ones. He is in A Christmas Carol from 2001. Which had Nicolas Cage as the voice of Marley's ghost. Great pick. And he's also in Little Nicky and Human Nature with Patricia Arquette, who at the time of their release was married to Nicolas Cage. Great pick. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's my next one? Uh, Efren Khan is in the Darjeeling Limited with Jason Schwartzman. And is also in Jurassic World. Yes, also, also shot by John Schwartzman. Yes, of course. John Schwartzman. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, writer Steve Cloves. Mm. So, way, 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 way 
before he wrote all the Harry Potter films. He wrote a film called Racing with the Moon, mm. which stars Nicolas Cage and uh, Sean Penn, Sean I think. Penn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that, 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 that's a great one. So uh, that was an early days one. one uh, my next one I had was Av Arad, who's a, a producer on this movie and was has been at Marvel since like the early '90s and is particularly really heavily involved with the Sony produced Marvel movies. He was, of course, a producer on the two Ghost Rider movies starring Nicolas Cage. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Well, we, 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 we shone a light on James Horner earlier in this chat. Mm-hmm. So James Horner did the scores for both Wind Talkers, which starred Nicolas mm-hmm. Cage, and Captain EO, a film that Ooh. Francis Ford Coppola, a short that he did in the 1980s, which stars Michael Jackson. Oh, and Angelica Houston. I never knew that existed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which will be covered on this podcast at some point, despite despite the fact it it, it, it stars Michael Jackson. Uh, do you have any more Copla connections? I have a couple us, more. I, I have a couple more direct ones, and then some of the more where it's a bit of a kind of seven degrees of like a couple of where there's a bit of a lily pad in between. But another direct one okay, I found okay. was uh, Pietro Schiala, who's one of the credited editors, editors on this film, also edited Kick-Ass, which, of course, stars Nicolas Cage Amazing. as Big Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the other editors on this film mm. is Alan Edward Bell, who was the first assistant editor on North, which <laughs> uh, has a voice cameo from... Uh, <laughs> Nicholas Cage's brother, uh, Mark Coppola, and keeping on North, J. Michael Reaver was the production designer on this and North. Uh, (laughs) I've seen North. I'll chuck a couple more, (laughs) and then then we'll get to your last ones. Uh, The casting director, Francine Masler, worked on Fifty Shades of Grey, which is also lensed by. G- uh, John Schwartzman. Oh no, wasn't actually. He did 50 the sequels, didn't he? <laughs> he did the sequels, but I've recently covered Fifty. <laughs> it's so on the brain. Uh, <laughs> and and Simone or S1 oh yeah, M- I can remember that <laughs> Which yeah, again, it, John Schwartzman was the DOP and. Last but not least, the set direct, uh, decorator Leslie Pope worked on Funny People, Sea Biscuit, Simone, and The Family Man. Ah, delightful stuff. I've got a couple more that what like C. Thomas Howell we mentioned earlier was a uh, uh, pony boy in uh, The Outsiders. Uh, who mm-hmm. else have I got? I've got uh, Sally Field, who I've connected via Robin Williams and the Francis Ford Coppola film Jack. <laughs> and then they missed out fire right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then laura ziskin another producer on this uh produced to die for which stars matt Dillon, who was both in the outsiders and rumblefish directed by francis ford and my last one that oh, i right. had is uh alvin Sargent, who's one of the writers uh probably the more tenuous link one because it was like a film i've never heard of uh also wrote the Al Pacino F1 movie, Bobby Deerfield. And of course, Pacino was in the Godfather trilogy. <laughs> we did quite well, well for the connections well, there. There was 
as I kept mining through, I was like, oh, there's more more here than I thought. <laughs> yeah, like the thing is, I have to like call it a day at some point because yeah. you can start getting into like runners, and it's like yeah. this this guy was a runner on this, and this this person will did did this. Oh, um, I've got I've got one last sneaky one that was on the another page of my document, which mm-hmm. is Kim Barrett, the costume designer was also a costume designer on Free Kings, which was directed by David O. Russell and has a performance by Spike Jones, who at the time was married to Sophia Coppola. So there you go. With all of those connections out of the way, Andy, let's rate this film. And we have a unique way of rating films mm. on this podcast, which is asking what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film? So I I don't know my wines very well. I just know I like red. And I, I do think The Amazing Spider-Man would be a red. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of red on that suit. So, <laughs> uh, but I, I always do try to remember, like, the labels of wines that I've liked whenever I've been out. So, like, if I then ever find myself craving the taste of the grown-up grape juice, as I like to call it, I'll, I'll aim to try and find that label that I know I've tasted and I've liked. But for me, The Amazing Spider-Man represents a bottle of red where I've picked up a label thinking that it's one that I've tried before, but then realise I've gone wrong. (laughs) 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 It's just ripe in (laughs) Wait a second. (laughs) This is like... zero percent. It's like this other one, but... (laughs) I've been had. That feels like the perfect uh, description for this film. It's it, it's got it's got um it's got notes yeah. of the film. If you like. It's got ele- yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's got it's got a slight flavor profile, but at the end of the day, it feels quite uh, it tastes quite flat. vegetative and earthy. Yeah, yeah, it's a little flat. a couple of points. You're like, oh, that, yeah, that that tastes a bit different. I don't mind that. That's good. But then, it, yeah, that then that then that will get a bit lost itself as well. <laughs> Yeah, there's a there's a weird aftertaste in your mouth. Yeah. After you're like, I don't think I'll be visiting that one again. <laughs> uh, so is this a bottom shelf, middle shelf, or top shelf wine? AKA, is this film good, bad, or real bad? I think it's probably. I think middle shelf. Uh, I know, mm-hmm. like, like it's not a film I think is great by any means, but I don't think it's a. I don't think it's poor. I think it's it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Perfect. Now, getting on to some more questions. Which Coppola f- member mm. would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the filmographies of the entire rest of the family. I know a couple of people have said this one, but I feel like it's the only, it's a way that you can kind of have the best of both worlds a little bit because as well as being a fan of Spider-Man, being a fan of Francis Ford and being a fan of the Godfathers, there's something I'd argue I'm probably a bigger fan of than all those things combined, and that is the Rocky franchise. So in order to also keep the Godfather trilogy, I'm going to keep Talia Shire so I can have <laughs> have my Rocky <laughs> franchise and have my Godfather trilogy. <laughs> Somebody's listened to my Rocky 3 episode yep. <laughs> and found the cheat code. I was just like, that Somebody's is perfect. Somebody's left down, right up, left down, right up, R2, L2. Exactly. Yeah, it's the perfect answer. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and 
absolutely, yeah. I completely yeah, I... cribbed that from that episode just because there's no better answer in my eyes. <laughs> I, I think Talia Shire might be the kind of like uh, the secret weapon yeah. of the Coppola family. Mm -hmm. It just like, well, not only has she got this kind of really interesting and like stellar career of her own and stuff like that, it's like she is probably. Uh, <laughs> given us one of the most productive members of the Coppola family, Jason Schwartzman. Who, like, I was going to say, yeah, and she's oh, also the oh. only reason we're talking about this film today, really. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and, and even that is a, is a stretch because it's only by man. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, 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 was, he was Jack Schwartzman's son already, but I think I read in an article somewhere that Nicholas Cage referred to him as his cousin, yeah, and it's that's like nice. if he was, <laughs> if John Schwartzman was at, at Christmas dinner at the Coppola uh, family estate, he's getting talked about on this podcast. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Talia Shire, as, as I said on that episode, might be the right answer. And uh, yeah, I've got a lot, of, got a lot, a lot of affection for for Talia Shire, mm -hmm. especially especially the especially the Rocky films. Uh, people would have heard last week my. Um, episode on rocky four which has turned out to be a, a real mammoth episode yeah. because it's not just not just one guest I, I i had a phone call uh last night time of recording with uh liam dempsey from oh, yeah. the rocky three episode all about his opinions on uh the rocky four director's cut we kind of like, rocky four rocky said we were going to talk for 20 minutes <laughs> yeah we said we were going to talk for 20 minutes and as you as you'll hear on that episode we talked for a lot longer than 20 minutes i'm looking forward to that <laughs> yeah that is not a cut that deserves 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> that needs bigger <laughs> amazing andy that's yeah you've you, you've you've really wiggled your way in yeah. and found that found that found that cheat and I, I i love you for it so based on this film alone are the Coppola's the greatest film family of all time? I probably have to go with no based off of this film alone. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't blame you, Andy. I wouldn't blame and maybe, you at all. Just I, on this evidence, I'd have to give it to the Houstons, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you get some, you get some Coppola in there with the Houston's yeah, as well. Yeah. So I'll have it. You get, some, you get some, yeah, you you get some Roman, you get some uh, Francis. So uh, I'll will take the Houston's. They're they're, 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 they're they're happy to play to play second. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the these kind of big like film families, there seems to be some crossover at some point anyway. Whether it's uh, the Arquettes, obviously with uh, like. Nicolas Cage marrying one of them for one, and I think David Arquette crops up in Airheads. So yes, <laughs> was the DOP on? So like, yeah, there's a. I love all these crossovers you get. So um, let's move on to the most important question of this podcast. The thing that uh, everyone wants to know, Andy, is what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson <laughs> at the end of Lost in Translation? I think he says, I believe that if you can do good things for other people, you have a moral obligation to do those things. That's what's at stake here. 
not choice, responsibility, which is a line I completely forgot to bring up back up because it's just this is this is Uncle Ben's. This is how the film rewrites the line with great power comes great responsibility. And it trips up on it so much that I just had to try and work it in some way. And I forgot to actually bring it into the conversation. <laughs> It's an uh, awkward, it awkward like line. <laughs> well, yeah, with uh, with Bill Murray's delivery in uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, it feels like the kind of line he might, yeah, he might definitely whispered in her ear at the end of that film. It's on a it's on a par with the energy levels of Martin Sheen's performance. <laughs> that movie. Right, uh, Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Obviously, you host the podcast. As I, as I mentioned, I've uh, I had the absolute pleasure of being a guest on it. Indeed. The Amblin, the Amblin podcast. Um, tell people about that podcast and, and where people can find it and where people can find you as well online if they want to keep up to date with what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So Ramblin' and Amblin podcast is a podcast I do with my good buddy Joshua Glenn. And it it's a, it's a show where we basically work through the filmography of Amblin Entertainment, going through every film in chronological order. Uh, so we've already covered some of like their early, big early 80s hitters like E.T. and Back to the Future and Patrice Joy for Harry and the Hendersons, which was a, a wild, obscure <laughs> ride. <laughs> and we're just getting our foot in the 90s now. So like, yeah, come along and join us on a ride. There's still plenty more Amblin Entertainment films to get into you can find that anywhere you get your podcasts uh you can follow the podcast on twitter at rambling amblin i myself you can follow on twitter at andy godian 93 and i'm also up on letterbox if you want to keep track of everything and everything i'm watching and uh, what i have to say about it <laughs> <laughs> well andy it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast thank you so much coming and making some copal connections with me well thank you for having me man it's been an absolute joy great to great to chat with you again and I, i'm loving everything you're doing with this podcast like I, like particularly like i i and it is yes because i'm a big fan but all the big rocky dives i've just been lapping up <laughs> <laughs> i'm so, so happy much, to hear man. there's so much more coming <laughs> <laughs> Thank you once again to Andy Godian for that amazing chat about all things Spider-Man. Uh, if you've seen the new Spider-Man, how does it rate in the pantheon of Spider-Man content that's out there? And where does this film uh, rank for you? I'd love to know your thoughts on The Amazing Spider-Man and Spider-Man No Way Home. I will hopefully be seeing it uh thursday of this week so yeah the day after it comes out if there's still tickets available i'm pretty 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 slack at stuff like that i will i will kind of try and get a ticket on the day and if it's not there then i won't go that day i'll go another day instead so if you want to get in touch with the podcast you can do so on all the socials and it's at caged in podcast on twitter instagram facebook 
and letterbox or if you want to drop me an email you want to go a bit long form you want to keep it private little little chat between me and you you can drop me an email cagedinpod at gmail.com and if you're not listening to rambling and ambling podcast do check it out it's absolutely fantastic it really does feel like a warm hug of a conversation and andy and josh are fantastic hosts they almost make me jealous in the way that they kind of came out of the gate running and they yeah their 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 podcast they they perfectly released them on a sunday as well and it kind of they encapsulate their podcast feels like watching an an ambling movie it's just this um yeah big warm hug of a podcast and i thoroughly recommend you check that out as i'm recommending podcasts already it's time for my little uh christmas recommendation section in the lead up to christmas i thought i'd give you a present of some amazing podcasts you could be listening to and this week's pick is w rated hosted by uh daisy edwards and claire ellen hope and they are looking at the bottom 100 movies as ranked on imdb and um as somebody who has watched his fair share of bad movies for a podcast, I I sympathise with them, empathise with them, and love what they're doing because they never feel like it's mean spirited. They they're just trying to figure out why are these films on the bottom one hundred, and I absolutely love their uh, kind of approach to it and the way that they kind of I I love the fact that, that a, a film that I, I I weirdly thoroughly enjoyed, I know who killed me. Uh, they dedicated like two episodes to it talking about just the the full mania and just craziness of that film uh with uh former guest uh andrew pope and it's an absolute delight and they've yeah they've got a whole host of fantastic episodes over on that podcast so do check out w rated as for next week here on this podcast we will be talking about an absolute modern christmas classic which as i've seen a lot of podcasts are doing for their christmas episode this year because it is an absolute joy but we will be giving it the full coppola connections treatment when i'm joined by russell bailey of the not just for kids podcast and we'll be looking at the jason schwartzman starring klaus ah i really 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 can't wait for you guys to to hear this and the, the me, me and i know i know russell loves this film i haven't actually recorded this episode yet but i'm sure it's going to be a lovely burst of christmas joy in your ear holes just before the big festive day itself if you love this here podcast and want to support it please do so by heading over to ko-fe.com to buy me a little digital cup of coffee uh, the forward slash on that is of course caged in pod yeah and as i said you can buy me a digital cup of coffee and just i want a payment to to help keep the lights on over here at caged in towers or if you want to do a bit more of a you want a bit more commitment with your support you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where ah, from january you'll be delighted to uh hear a brand new podcast which will be twice a month and it is my deep dives into the films of francis ford coppola's cohort 
formerly known as the Movie Brats. The first season will be kicking off with a little look at Brian De Palma. You won't want to miss this. I've recorded two episodes so far on Phantom of the Paradise with the amazing Jeanette and Daryl Barr of Sudden Double Deep fame and an episode on Mission Impossible with amazing comedian and podcaster Nathaniel Metcalf. Again, that you won't want to miss. And you can get all of that goodness for as little as £2.50 or $3 a month. Not bad, eh? Or if you don't want to part with your cash, you can always, always recommend this podcast to a friend. Let people know. Uh, recommend it to enemies. Recommend it to your family, loved ones, hate ones, everyone. Just recommend it. Look, do you know what? Uh, hire our billboard and like, yeah, just put up a massive advert that says, hey guys, listen to Caged In. It's really good. And Pedros is a, a really lovely guy who has self-esteem issues and would like you to listen to his podcast. Or you can go through some formal channels and uh, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. I know every podcast says it to you, but it it, 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 it really does help kind of get uh, exposure to podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, give me that beautiful, beautiful five stars. It really, really will help out. Not just get this podcast to more ears, will boost my self-esteem give me that christmas present of some self-esteem please baby so as always i have been petros patterson your guide through the crazy world of the coppola family tree and remember that if a child is hanging in a car hung by web off of a bridge to always save them as you never know if their dad is going to be a crane operator who can help you in your time of need so i'll catch you next time as we talk klaus 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, a Town Limery, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.